Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Mark Fraley Podcast. Today is Friday, March 3rd, 2023, and it's looking to be a blustery day here in Nashville. As I make this recording this morning, we are under a threat of severe storms and winds. Thanks to Ron Trammell for our guitar-picking intro music. Our state parks here in Tennessee are an important part of our history as a state. The idea that they exist at all, how and why they came into existence, collectively and individually, each park has its own story to tell. In fact, several of our state parks are listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Recently, in in the Tennessee Library and Archives has developed a very fine exhibit on the history of the state park system, and this is currently on display in the front lobby of our beautiful new Library and Archives building. The stories and history of black Americans, their struggles and successes, is American history, and Parks and Recreation is a part of that history. This year, a state historical marker was placed here in Nashville at the site of the former Centennial Park swimming pool, now converted to an arts activity center to commemorate and acknowledge the protest of racial discrimination at that pool during the Jim Crow era. The designation of T.O. Fuller State Park in Memphis as a, quote, state park for Negroes, end quote, was seen at the time in 1942 as an achievement of sorts for black citizens. But it was, of course, also a monument to the Jim Crow system itself. On today's program, we have a return guest in Jessica Gossett. Jessica has recently been promoted to be to the rank of park manager for T.O. Fuller State Park. Jessica visited us with with us on this program several years ago when she was serving as interpretive ranger at the state capitol Bicentennial Park. My previous interview with Jessica from 2019 is available in the podcast archives. In her new role as park manager, Jessica is investigating the history and development of the T.O. Fuller Park and of T.O. Fuller, the esteemed black pastor, educator, and leader to whom the park is dedicated. Today, she shares with us some, some of what she has learned and also shares her vision for the future of the Fuller Park. Jessica is a rising star in our state park leadership. And so I hope you will enjoy my conversation with Jessica Gossett. And we will get started right after this brief message. Hi, this is Heather Lose, Editor-in-Chief of the Tennessee Conservationist Magazine. Every year, we publish six beautiful issues packed full of timely and informative stories about Tennessee culture, people, and places. You can stay informed about your world and all the great things happening in your Tennessee state parks. It's easy to subscribe. Just go to our website at tnconservationist.org. Thank you. So, Jessica Gossett, welcome back to the Mark Fraley podcast. Thank you for having me, Mark. Well, Jessica, keep keep close to that microphone so we get a good a good signal from you. 
Uh, I know okay. that you're out, as you referred to it, in the Tennessee State Park boonies way out there in <laughs> South Memphis. So um, uh, let's try to keep a good connection. I say welcome back, Jessica, because you have been on the podcast before. You are in in rare company of people <laughs> that have, have been on this program more than one time, maybe maybe less than five people. And thank okay. you for, thank for uh, agreeing to, to be here. Um, we were talking briefly before we went on, on, the, on the record. It's been three or four years since we last talked, and you at that time were stationed at Bicentennial Park here in, in, uh, at the Nashville Capitol. And at that time, we spoke about a program that you were doing about the Tennessee timeline and the history of Tennessee. And um, it was a very popular program. We got a lot of downloads of it, and, and uh, people were thrilled to hear from you. And uh, as I peruse social media, you don't often post on social media, but recently you've had a, a, um, uh, a high mark in, in postings, I guess coincidental with your advancement to park manager at T.O. Fuller. So congratulations to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I want to um, bring us up to speed about you and your career. The last time we spoke, as I said, you were here in Nashville. It was shortly after that you moved to, to, to Memphis to T.O. Fuller to have a Rangers position there. Tell us more. What's going on with okay. you? Yeah, the opportunity that came to go back home, not not just my home home, but also my home park, because uh, I've been coming to T.O. since I was a child, and then I was a volunteer here, then I was a SRR, and so being able to come back as a ranger for T.O. Fuller State Park, I couldn't miss, miss that uh, opportunity, so I sent in a letter of request said what what I was willing to do on behalf of the park and Tennessee State Parks and 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 was granted the privilege of of of, of transferring back. So for the past couple uh two almost almost three years, so two and a half years, two and a half years, uh I've been doing interpretation just same as kind of same as with Bicentennial, except we don't have big events here. We are, we're a slightly different style of park. Um, so for here at T.O. Uh, Fuller, instead of events, we have campground operations. We have 45, 45 campsites, RV campsites, not including a primitive campground field. We got picnic shelters. Um, sometimes we have a pool operating. <laughs> we got an event space that used to be the golf clubhouse. Um, we used to have a golf club, uh, golf course. Just right. a couple of different things um, happen in here, and it's a lot bigger than being at the smallest park in the system at the time. So, so we uh, we have one thousand, uh, roughly one thousand two hundred acres, um, and most of that is actually not accessible. So, uh, the part that's immediately accessible to the part uh, to the public is is actually uh, vehicle accessible, and then we have about uh, five miles a five mile loop called the Discovery Loop that basically goes up and down these Chickasaw Bluffs out here in Bluff City, as well as um, we have wetlands, we have ephemeral as well as permanent wetlands. Ephemeral right, just hold, hold on just a second, because you're you're getting <laughs> you're getting way ahead. So <laughs> for for those listeners that are not familiar with with parks generally, but T.O. Fuller in particular, give us give us um, the the gross 
location of, of T.O. Fuller State Park? Yes, sir. So T.O. Fuller State Park is located in the southwest corner, the southwest corner of Memphis, as well as the southwest corner of the state. You can't, right. you, there ain't no other state parks after us. <laughs> are you actually on the um, state? So are you actually on the state line or are you just a little bit north that's, of the state line? Well, a little, little, little north, yeah. just a little. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, and on the, and on the river, you are um, on McKellar Lake, which is a little bit of a oxbow tributary of the Mississippi River. Um, and um, do, do you have a, a boat ramp there on McKellar Lake or not? No, we were not blessed with a, with the boat ramp when they initially established the park in right. 1938. <laughs> well, you know, here we are in uh, the beginning of March 2023. It is uh, a couple of days late for Black History Month. Um, but there's never, never a bad time for black history in my, in my view. And we're up on women's history, history month. Um, so T.O. Fuller Park is a story in black history on its own. Um, and, and I know that you've been doing some work on that and doing some programs on that, uh, out there. Um, I've been to Fuller a couple times and it's really a cool, a cool place, um, you, you talked about it being established in 36 or 37? The park, was it 30? Yes, sir, 1938. 1938. And do, do I recall that there was a WPA or CCC project associated with that, with that park? Yes, sir. T tell, us, tell us about that. CCC or Civilian Conservation Corps. Yes, yeah, so uh, the Civilian Conserv uh, Conservation Corps was instrumental in establishing the original park because uh, the park was expanded uh, over time. Um, so I believe, don't direct quote me on this, but it was 500 acres initially sitting up here on top of these bluffs. And the, um, the young men, the young black men of Memphis, uh, Tennessee were sent away to train a little bit and they came back and actually built the original structures um, and roads and access points here at T.O. Fuller. So that was a, a black uh, troop or as they referred to it in the day, a colored troop of the CCC. Is that, am I correct about that? They were definitely considered yeah. the colored troop. <laughs> and, and, you know, I remember going for, um, a hike in the woods at T.O. Fuller one time and, and encountering some structures that are still there. Or, uh, and this was 86 or 87 that I had, that I was out there. Are there still some, some of those historic structures uh, that the CCC fellas uh, built? Unfortunately, we don't have a whole lot um, of stuff. Like even with the thing, with the pool, the pool, Pool was was uh, originally established by the CCC, but it's had many upgrades since then. It right. does. Uh, I've actually got a chance to see some of the pictures and 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 how it used to look versus uh, what it looks like now. Um, Shelter Four is the uh, is is one of those those legacy. Um, projects, construction projects that we have, the honor of still having here at T.O. Fuller. We used to have cabins, but we don't have those cabins right. anymore. Right. You know, it's it was probably 1980, my first visit to T.O. Fuller. Okay. 
and the and the reason for me to visit there was the swimming pool. Um, I got I got an assignment um, to to visit all the state park swimming pools and beachfront areas, and do a report on their operations. And um, I remember visiting Fuller, and as you and and as you say, uh, it had been modernized um, from the uh, the original pool. Um, and, and that pool still in operation, I presume. Yes. Now, unfortunately, we were closed or have been closed because of the uh, you know onset of the pandemic. Right. So we are in a, currently in the process of preparing the pool to open this summer. So we'll see right. how that goes. Right. And you know, <laughs> and, and the last time I was there, there was actually a golf course in operation at T.O. Fuller, and I understand that 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 has been closed now it was really not the best of golf courses to to be quite honest it was hill it was way too hilly uh <laughs> i don't know you i've well, you you've been there all your life you remember that golf course certainly did you ever did you ever play around yep. on that old golf course i did not uh but i did have i do have some uncles that that did have that uh sorry i'm on duty so I actually have to keep the uh, I have to keep the radio on during this. I apologize. No, that's fine. And as okay. I say to my audience, uh, this is real life. This is a this is a ranger park uh, manager on duty, and uh, she's got to monitor the radio to, uh, for emergencies. So, um, um, so T O Fuller, as I said, is is a is a study itself in in Black history. And in the in the state park, um, in in our state parks, we have two parks that, when originally um, dedicated, were dedicated as uh, state parks for African Americans. And one one was Booker T. Washington Park in Cle in uh, Chattanooga, uh, and then T. O. Fuller in Memphis. Um, but you know what? The name T.O. Fuller, I've never known why or who T.O. Fuller was. Um, and, I, and I know that you have done some work on that. I, I recently looked him up in the Tennessee Encyclopedia of Cult History and Culture. I don't know uh, if our audience may, may some, of the, some of them have that book. And he was an interesting character in the Memphis area. Are you back? Yes, sir. Okay, I got good. you. We had a little, little bit abrupt uh, break there. Tell us about T.O. Fuller and, and perhaps why his name is associated with, with that particular park. Okay, uh, I can do that, Mark. Now, I'm going to have to disclose that I have a bias because <laughs> I am a, a, I am a product or rather I'm a great grandchild of the work that Dr. Fuller did here in Memphis, Tennessee. So I have a slight bias and 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 my recounting of his story and his legacy will reflect that. I hope so. <laughs> I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Absolutely. So uh, but Dr. Fuller um was born was the only child of his parents born free in 1867. So Mary Eliza Kearney and Jay Henderson Fuller were originally a slave enslaved people in North Carolina. Um, his father bought his and his wife 
and his 13 children's freedom <laughs> from slavery because of the quality of his work as a carpenter and as a wheelwright. And, um, and when Fuller came around, he was the only child of Mary and Jay Henderson born free. So, so he had a very specific, uh, his parents had very specific expectation of him. And it wasn't just his parents, his older siblings who did experience the horrors of slavery also, also had very specific expectations of him. So he was pushed from an early age to go into leadership positions from as a child, he was pushed. So when he went to school, um, his brothers had set him up to, his big brothers had set him up to be uh, a lawyer, to go into law, because that's that's that was the type of people that his family and folks that, that came out of that experience felt like they needed, they needed somebody that, that had an understanding of state and, and, and benefit of the people. But, and I'm gonna quote him, because uh, he says, says it better than I can. After he got to Shaw University, he kind of felt troubled. His, or rather, sorry, his quote was, my heart was heavy and my mind depressed. He had a crisis of spirit. So he confided in a close friend that had just went into ministry. And his friend told him, it's because you have a call that you're not answering. And so he actually switched from law and started studying ministry and was ordained um, in 1890 following that crisis of spirit. So after he graduated and finished university, he was a teacher in rural areas. He established uh, schools uh, schools this way up as to be on a uh, to be a um, principal so he was a principal and all of this time he was farming substance substance farming uh, he owned a couple of businesses and he was pastoring on top of all of this so he was a busy busy man but like I said his family his family had very very specific expectations of him so he was living up to the challenge and the expectations that, that they had of him. So because of his work and because he was such a busy, busy person, he was asked to run for a state senator position in North Carolina. And he won that easily. Unfortunately, now this is, this is Reconstruction, North Carolina. So, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we had an influx so of, of black legislators in, in the years right after the war and emancipation. Mm -hmm. And un unfortunately that did not last long. And Dr. Fuller specifically saw the, legis the, the draft and the legislation of the grandfather clause in uh, North Carolina specifically, and he was pushed out of power. And then the other thing to keep in mind is that right after he was elected, when he was elected, the only coup only successfully recorded coup in United States history happened in Wilming Wilmington, North Carolina. And it was called, it's called the Wilmington Massacre. And because of that, it actually affected his politics. So he was um, actually encouraged to be more militant, uh, depending on uh, how, how uh, for our listeners and for you, how, how much you've had the opportunity to study, there are a couple of different trains of thought on how to address the quote unquote problems at that time sometimes it was diplomacy sometimes it was militancy just depending right. on what right. was happening at the time 
But he chose diplomacy because he had he wanted to model Christ, a Christ-like spirit specifically. And that was his mother's influence on him. And he advocated for peace and diplomacy when people were calling for arms because of the level of violence that occurred in Wilmington that were that was just heartbreaking. And he, he still advocated for that. After he got pushed out of power, he was invited to come to Memphis, Tennessee, which had a similar legacy of racist mob violence. But he brought not only his experience from uh, what happened in Wilmington, but also his experience as a state senator, a state lawmaker, right. <laughs> as well as his experience as teaching and being a principal and things like that. And he was invited to come and pastor in Memphis, Tennessee. So in 1900, he moved to Memphis and began his work and the work that led to the park being named after him. So he uh, was he ran he was uh, asked to be the principal of a school that was originally founded for freedmen and fugitives of blacks or coloreds or Negroes, depending on what time period you're talking about. That was called Howe University and it or Howe Institute. And then later H -O -W -E and now Howe? it's known as Memorial H O W E, yes sir. Right, okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so he brought that school back from the brink of death. <laughs> well, that school was struggling, struggling hard. And they asked him, hey, can you can you come fix this and make it make it right? And he said, and I quote, should I take charge of the school? I would make it hum and hum. He did. He was a successful fundraiser, very successful fundraiser. He expanded the campus's property. He facilitated the constructions of living quarters because that was real important back in that time period, mm -hmm. having a safe, safe place to stay as a person of color, specifically right. as a person who was a descendant of enslaved folks here right. in the States. Right. Um, and he made sure that there were living quarters for the black women students and staff. And that and that's very important. And I'll, I'll continue that train in just a bit. Okay. So he made sure that there were all kinds of classes available. So there was two trains of thought at the time. One was those Negroes should focus on just those technical skills that they are good at and continue down that way. The other one is there was a need for intellectual development. Well, Dr. Fuller, with the impetus, impetus and the expectations placed on him by his parents, especially his mother, as well as his, his experience coming in from North Carolina, there were three, three areas that he worked on with his students and also with the people he pastored. Those were the heads, the hands, and the hearts of the folks. That the heads, the mental, the intellectual development, hands, that technical development. Yeah, you got to be able to use your hands, but you got to think too. And then the heart and the spiritual, the spiritual lives of, of his students, his peers, and the, and, and the laymen. And that was for that, he figured that that would cover basically everything that folks needed to know at that particular time and 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 make them not just well-rounded but also realize the full their full humanity and real remember 
And this was critical because this is after almost 300 years of dehumanization, of violent dehumanization, exploitation. Remember that they were made in the image of God. And I'm, I'm sure if you've read some of the stuff that, that people were writing back then, but the uh, image of God was not <laughs> not what they were not what those those folks were held up as so made in the image of god and that included men and women and so he was an advocate publicly and privately for feminine leadership in the church as in education and home and at work and that was that was pretty significant he actually got pushback on that a lot of pushback i understand well, you know if you teach these women how to read they're going to feel the call to preach. Why, why would you teach them how to read the Bible? <laughs> From, right, right. And this is what the, in the Baptist, the black Baptist tradition. And he pushed back. He's like, because they need to know. He was also an advocate for living wages. And he used that term in his writings. So that's not a new term. <laughs> and he also was publicly against lynching. He was mm -hmm. publicly against lynching. Um, and that was just a handful of just a handful of things. He was also a bridge builder and he worked for the uplift of at that time, both races. I know that we have a different uh, idea of that now, but both races. And so he worked with the politicians, the business owners, the everyday Joe and Jane walking on the street. He worked with all of them and started groups and coalitions um, so to build relationships because he had a spirit. Uh, he wanted to model. He didn't model. Just mo He didn't want to just model. He modeled as best as he could at that time period, the spirit of Christ. And the spirit of Christ was the spirit of neighborliness and friendship. You know, so that's how he got that part now. From what I have read, it, and, has, and you're well more versed than I am, certainly, but from what I have read, he was criticized a little bit for not being militant enough. Um, but you know, to his credit, he he kept a demeanor that made him the person that people would want to, to reach out to and to bridge to bridge and dialogue between the races. Um, and if you had to pin it down to one one quality that was uppermost, that that might be it. It's just his willing to 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 be the intermediary. Uh, and, and to bridge that divide. Yes, sir. And um, yes, he was what we would consider in the here and now an accommodationist. He definitely was. He was also one of the, han the handful of folks, uh, lead black male leadership or black men leadership at the time that advocated for the rights for women. So the same folks that were like, oh man, he was an accommodationist. I'm not negating that. He sure was a accommodationist, right. but it was a reason for that. And part of it was because he valued the safety. He wrote it, he talked it, and he walked it. He valued the safety of the people, and he especially valued the safety of women and girls. It didn't matter if you were the washerwoman or you one of the small, privileged elites, black elites that we did have here in the city and do have in the city of Memphis. Right. Didn't matter. He right. valued that. And, and based off of uh, just the handful of read, accounts and readings of the massacres that occurred here and lynchings that occurred here in the city of Memphis at that time, I think that he was just just doing his best to walk a very thin line. Uh, but yeah, he was an accommodationist. I, I'm not negating that point. Right. So, um, when 
the institutions that he was involved with, with the church and with the Howe Institute, uh, are, are those institutions, uh, are, are they still existing in Memphis or have they uh, moved on or been merged with other institutions that we might know of today? Yes, yes. So they don't exist in the same form. Um, First Baptist Church, which is an offshoot of the of a historic, also a historic black church called Mother Bill on Bill Street or Bill Street Baptist Church. Now, Mother Bill is still there, but he wasn't a pastor there. He was just the pastor of the off the offshoot, the offshoot church. That place is no that place no longer exists. He actually, I found a letter. I couldn't, I didn't. Uh, didn't make a copy of it. So I found this letter over six years ago as a seasonal that he wrote to the uh, mayor at the time, which was uh, Edward Boss, Boss oh. Crump, Boss Crump, okay. requesting not to bulldoze the church. And the area that the church is, is uh, the place where the infamous Fuller Homes ended up in. There used to be a upper class and middle class black neighborhood that was bulldozed uh, on purpose by the city of Memphis leadership at the time. And he, he advocated for it not, that not to happen. And it happened anyway. So I did see that letter. So um, the and Fuller then too, Homes you know, being a housing project there in South, in South Memphis is, am I yes, sir. right about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or oh, it was now it's, it, they've, they bulldozed it again. And now it's a, it's a more pleasant, um, I guess, place. Thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully. Um, I mean, years so, ago I had, I had the assignment of doing, some park inspections of, in Memphis of the of the some of the grant parks that that the state made to the city of Memphis and and um, some of those were in the in, in and around the housing projects and um, not not necessarily a place that's very welcoming. Um, some of those places got pretty rough back in the day. That's a consequence of of consciously legally destroying black neighborhoods is just a consequence of that it's True not enough. a surprise <laughs> so what do we um, know about how, how say again now how institute is now lamorne on college oh okay so that Good. that that is still that so it's still in existence uh it there were a couple of mergers over time Right. Um, but it's, it's still a college here in the city of Memphis. Right. One of the um, lesser known, I guess you'd say, uh, traditional black black colleges and universities out there, but uh, definitely on on that list of, of uh, Fisk and uh, and uh, you know the others, um, uh, Wilberforce and you know all those colleges. So all right, so. Talking about Fuller Park in particular, I'm I, I'm wondering what the process was. Uh, if you know um, about why he was he was select his name was selected to to um, particularly to 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 be the namesake of that park. Okay, so um, like I said, that man was was busy right <laughs> and just like he was busy in north carolina he was busy here in the city of memphis and he developed because he was savvy too he was politically savvy that's how he became a senator but uh he uh and uh, um developed a relationship with edward crump 
Boss Crunk, who was uh who ran a very that's a whole different podcast, ran a very influential uh political machine here in the state of Tennessee. Um, so he he um had a lot of power and a lot of clout and authority. He developed a relationship with Edward Crump. And uh, in 1942, the Shelby County City Negro Park, uh, State Park, was renamed in honor of Dr. Fuller because Edward Crump put in a very uh, strong request that that park be named after him. And interestingly enough, it's an example of somebody getting, a, getting their flowers before they pass away. Um, and so Dr. Fuller was actually still alive and got, and I found that newspaper clipping too, um, about, um, Edward Crump honoring him when at the ceremony, when they officially named the park, changed the name of the park to Dr. Fuller, he was still alive. And then he passed away about two to three weeks after afterwards. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Jessica, I've never, I've never heard that story before. That's just, that's a terrific story. Um, you know, and boss Crump was not just a, in power in the city of Memphis. He he had a statewide Tennessee um, thing going on. Uh, I, I, you know, Memphis was the biggest city in Tennessee and in the, in the general region at the time, certainly. Um, and so his influence carried into the state legislature um, to the point of picking governors and such as that. Yeah, he, that man was a formidable force. Right, right. <laughs> So and so so the park when 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 initially established did not have his name but it it later got his name. Yes, sir. Okay, well that's 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 an interesting that's an interesting story. What um, so Jessica, what what is in the future in terms of programming there, um, in at, at your park and and you have a you have. A, an interesting opportunity uh, uh, to present Black history uh, at T.O. Fuller Park and, and uh, to do interpretation of the life and times of the Black citizens of that area. Um, what, what do you have in, in, what's in your vision as far as um, future programs at the park along these lines? Okay. Um, if I could just do lay a small foundation first, and then I can tell you the rest. So basically, um, and this fall, the staff and I got together to do some brainstorming and some visioning. Um, and so we uh, have a very specific vision on how we want to drive the park for the next, not just five years, for the next 50 50 years to be perfectly honest and and what we want the park to look like and uh we want the park to be a beautiful reflection of the city of memphis of those people who were not legally denied access to the other parks like me and shelby forest um as well as the rest of the state a beautiful reflection so we are deepening and expanding our, our programming. So what we did this past month is we had our first ever Black uh, Black History speaker, se speaker Series. So we had four speakers over the course of February that talked about different aspects of Black history. Um, and, and one of those speakers, I'm happy to say, was uh, the last speaker was Le Park Ranger Leigh Gardner from the Cumberland Trail. And she talked about 
uh, the women, influential black women um, of, of the state of Tennessee and, and also uh, in Memphis. So she, she did our last, our last program. Um, we're also expanding our interpretation and presentation of the, uh, of the histories of the indigenous people, because one of the things here at T.O. Fuller is that we have a, not just a Native American village site, but we also have a Native American mound, temple uh, platform mound, as well as burial mound sites. And so we're working with the Chekalisa staff because the site of Chekalisa is actively administered by the University of Memphis. So we're actively working with them to expand um, our side of the interpretation to bring visitors to, and that that one we've always done, always took visitors to the site of Chugalisa, especially with our junior rangers. But we're also going to start talking about the Trail of Tears because, uh, because the city of Memphis was a key place um, for Trail of Tears. And where we are, we're on along the water route for the Trail of Tears. So we'll be expanding that and talking and also talking more about the Choctaw and Chickasaw, uh, sorry, Chickasaw nations um, that claim this area um, historically as well as in prehistory. So we'll be doing that. Uh, this month is, is Women's Month. So um, a lot of our a lot of our interpretation actually is also written or um, online. And so I and uh, the Ranger Dakota Muller, our new a new ranger just coming in, as well as our social media coordinator, Miss Julie Ray, we are posting um, and started yesterday posting a few posts a week, two to as hopefully two two to three a week about influential uh, local women um, that affected the city of Memphis, and that we can still we can still um, see the effects of. So that's just that's just some of what we're doing. Uh, we got a lot of plans here, <laughs> implementing a little bit at a time. Take the opportunity right now, Jessica, to let let folks know, our audience know, about your social media presence uh, and where uh, people can tune in to um, uh, to get notices of, of those of those happenings. Yes, sir. So all they have to do, all, all they have to do is go to our Facebook page so they can see some interpretive writing. They can see some lovely pictures of different things <laughs> happening around the park. They can see up and coming events. They can see past events so they can, you know, kind of get an idea of what we've done, uh, the themes that we try to focus on, because we're not we're not limiting ourselves here to one specific aspect of our heritage. We're, we're we're expanding and deepening on all of that. And so, they're, so they, the, they can the, definitely go to Facebook. So the Facebook page for T.O. Fuller State Park. Yes, and, sir. And I, do I recall or am I confused? Uh, you have a, a Friends of T.O. Fuller State Park organization, if, if I'm correct. Yes, sir. So if there, if anybody is interested in joining the Friends of T.O. Fuller State Park and uh, supporting, not just supporting, but partnering with the park staff on 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 some of the initiatives coming down the pipeline, um, what they just they actually can just contact the park and we'll direct them to the Friends Group because the Friends Group doesn't have a, a website yet. Okay. Um, let me ask you this. I'm wondering. We talked earlier about the Civilian Conservation Corps and its early involvement, the Black 
um, uh, troop of the CCC that was involved in the creation of the PARP. I wonder if you have discovered um, any of those individuals that may still be alive. I have not met any of them. We do have a plaque in front of the visitor center dedicated to that particular troop. Um, and also um, they're just work nationwide. Right. But uh, I have not had the pleasure of meeting any of them. I, right. what, from what I was told, the one or two last remaining uh, survivors, or not survivors, uh, veterans rather, right. of, of, of the CCC were here so many years before I, I came, came right. back as an, right. uh, as right. an Well, that, you know, that's the, the greatest generation folks. Um, and they're, they're leaving us uh, very, very quickly, unfortunately. Um, I was th uh, privileged to be involved with uh, a lot of the CCC uh, ceremonies at the 50th anniversary of the Tennessee State Parks. And, and there were a bunch of interviews done uh, with with characters. I mean, true characters uh, that were mm -hmm. that that were involved across the state. Um, and um, in fact, I think there was actually a, a colored uh, troop involved with with the development at Montgomery Bell as well. Um, I might I might be I might stand corrected on that, but I think there was actually a white crew crew and a black crew at Montgomery Bell back in the day when that was established. So um, might be interesting to, to dig in and see if you could find any of those folks that might have some recollections or even artifacts from, from those early days. I'm hoping to have uh, one of the things I've wanted to do ever since I was an SR, to be perfectly honest, and I pitched it to the then park manager, Calvin Robinson, Robinson um, is to do an oral history project. Um, that is something that I would, I deeply would like for us, the staff to engage in and to collect some of those histories. Cause I have done some reading and I did see that the, that the black CCC troops helped establish a lot of whites only parks. Right. Um, oh, I absolutely. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no, no question about it. Um, and, uh, and yeah. I, and I, you know, I can remember some some of those older black gentlemen attending these reunions and and just being thrilled to have them there. The um, so Jessica, um, as as we close here, we've been going for about forty five minutes. Um, I, I just want to say uh, I'm just thrilled uh, at your advancement and uh, taking over taking on management down at that park. Management is a mixed is a mixed bag and you I'm sure have already learned that, huh? I, I did promise to walk the fine line between management and leadership and well, <laughs> I'm, I'm walking it. <laughs> well, I, I, I hear you. I, I, I'm and I'm, I know that you've got you you still maintain um, these interests in history and in uh, culture and and uh, you're going to you're going to uh, make sure that those are uh, a, a real element of what's going on there at T.O. Fuller. Um, so Jessica, thank you uh, so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, I wish you the best of luck in your endeavors there in, in, uh, in Memphis and, and let us know if there's any way that we can be helpful to you. I really appreciate you allowing me to talk a little bit to you, Mark. 
<laughs> and I always appreciate opportunities to promote uh, Dr. Fuller's legacy as well as T.O. Fuller State Park. Super. Tennessee State Park. 